And I'm like, Mike, I saw it go in the water. I saw the splash. You're toast. And then my guy I'm caddying for, he looks at me and goes, you know you're yelling at Michael Jordan right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael Hound Dog Harrison. Hey, welcome to episode 85, the Jack Youngblood edition of the podcast. Really, I could have gone so many different directions on this one. I certainly could have picked Chad Ochocinco Johnson, given that it's episode 85, or perhaps Baron Davis, who apparently is the only NBA player ever to wear 85. If only there's a stats guy here to verify that. Or Martin Marincin, who proudly wore that number with the Oilers before becoming a punching bag for Maple Leaf fans. But I have to select Jack Youngblood, simply because his name is absolutely amazing. Other incredible names in sports? Dick Trickle, Dick Pound, Dick Buckus, Dick Pole, haha, <laughs> Clinton Dix. Okay, okay, let's move away from Dix. How about Pooh Richardson or Boof Bonzer, Boo Weekly, Fabian Assman, that's actually a person, Peekaboo Street, God Sham God, John David Booty? The possibilities are endless. I'm quite certain I listed off some of my fave names in sports in a previous podcast a long time ago, but I'm far too lazy to go back and check. I digress. My next guest doesn't quite have a hilarious name like the people I mentioned earlier, but I know he's definitely a hilarious man. So without further ado, let's get cracking. Okay, now welcome on my good friend Justin O'Leary. He's the head golf professional at Cedar Bray Golf Club in the greater Toronto area. I met him when I went on an epic golf trip with him to Spain in November, and he's an absolute beauty. Welcome to the H Dog Pod, J.O. Hey, thanks, Hound Dog. Super pumped to be here. And, uh, designated designation of beauty that's high praise already a lot of pressure uh, i don't know i was just gonna say that to live up to the expectation that's that's tough maybe i should have downplayed yeah maybe i should have been like ah justin he's just okay or something but <laughs> i love it yeah well first of all uh two episodes ago i had on tj rule and he organized that golf trip so i'll give you the opportunity now to trash him all you want <laughs> um i wish i could but i don't have a whole lot bad to say about tj he's uh TJ's just a great guy, and his company's rocking and rolling. I've had the pleasure to be on a couple trips with him now. Uh, and as you know, without question, Spain was Spain was something pretty special. I didn't really – I never thought about going to Spain in general, let alone going for a golf trip, and on both accounts. It was absolutely fabulous. And to use your term, we had a group of beauties. So uh, it was pretty awesome. So good. Yeah, absolutely. What, what, what were some of your favorite moments uh, uh, of that trip to Spain? Uh, there was a, a lot to choose from, I'm sure, but uh, it was just spectacular. Yeah, if I had to do a little of golf and non-golf, uh, I would say the dinner we had, remember that dinner we had in Old Town? And I think it was like a nine-course meal, and the food just kept coming, <laughs> and it was unbelievable. It was like, A, I didn't think I could ever eat that much, but the way they spaced it out with the wine pairings and uh, nine courses, nine different types of wine, we were all having a good time when we left there. So that was a pretty special night. I just remember that being just spectacular, let alone the food was awesome, but then the whole atmosphere in that old hotel was super cool. On the golf front, without question, playing Valderrama was pretty special. Um, I've been fortunate enough to play some, some pretty good golf courses around the world, and, and a lot of times they're they're a little overhyped when you get there. And I would say Valderrama was not the case. It was, it was awesome. It, it exceeded all expectations. I mean, if you remember, it's the craziest golf course. You can hit a golf ball on the fairway, and you got to look out for tree limbs and whatnot. So it was punishing, but I think we'd all agree it was pretty pretty spectacular and pretty special to spend the day there. And and then Hound Dog, I got to give you credit, man. You remember that one day we played uh, the name of the golf course escapes me, but we're coming down the 18th hole. We're tied. <laughs> you, me, and I think it was an AD, Andrew Donaldson from Rosedale. I think we all went long and mm -hmm. um, and I had a good flop shot to about eight feet, missed the putt. AD had a good bump and run up there, missed the putt. And then the Hound Dog gets up and down in front of the gallery from absolute jail to win the match. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> there not not too many great memories in terms of uh, super uh, great golf uh, for me at that, on that trip. So, yes, of course, obviously, you got to uh, pat yourself on the back on that one. Uh, yeah, yeah, that man, was, you're uh, good, you're good. That was, uh, that was so much fun to, to, to play. And I also loved uh, playing the stymie game before we even uh, got to actually go out on the golf course. So just uh, putting around on the putting green with all you guys was just uh, electric. It was so much fun and couldn't have asked for a greater, yeah, group, greater group of guys. Absolutely. The thing with those trips are sometimes like just the time we spend together in the bus is just as good as the time we spend together on the golf course because you, you get a good 
group of guys together and it's just it's so much fun you just laugh and play golf and eat good food and drink good wine it was a good combination for a week Sounds like a pretty good time, and uh, I also love that uh, I can't. I don't think it was you. A couple of guys uh, decided to uh, tab it like the the Spanish Cup, but they, for some reason they called it the Spanish Cup. Uh, that that wasn't your mistake, was it? No, no, no. I was not part of that. We uh, <laughs> uh, we're good at running events, but we struggle with grammar once in a while. So we we'll leave. We'll, we won't mention names, but yeah, somebody spelled Spain wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Spanish Cup. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yikes. Awesome. Well, yeah, <laughs> not so good. Uh, let's, let's go back to, uh, I guess, uh, where it all began in your career as a, as a golf pro. Uh, how'd you uh, become a, a golf pro? That's uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, you know what? I, I grew up in New Brunswick, a little town called Westfield, New Brunswick, of a town of literally about 1,500 people. And I was fortunate. I grew up right beside the golf course. And I remember a junior membership was $99 for the entire summer. And I probably played about 150 rounds that first year. So I definitely got my money's worth. Wow. And I, I remember my, my parents were going to kill me because when the first kind of monthly bill showed up with French fries and chips and chocolate bars all signed for, uh, I'd spend more on junk food in one month than I did for the membership for the entire year. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> they, they quickly put an end to that. But, and then, so when I was out there in New Brunswick, um, the club hired a new head pro when I was 11 and uh, and he kind of hired me, took me under his wing and hired me to pick the driving range. And that sounds like a cool job. But back in those days, we didn't have a range picker. We had to do it all by shag bags. Oh. And and he said, uh, I'll tell you what, you work the summer for me and I'll give you a brand new set of irons. So I didn't get paid, but he gave me a brand new set of Slazenger XTC irons, which are old school. And uh, at the time, I thought it was the greatest deal ever. Now I realize it was uh, probably a case of child labor, but um <laughs> But, but you know what? And, and that's when I, the summer of me being 11 and I've worked at a golf course every summer since then, uh, I haven't missed a summer and, um, I'm lucky. I mean, I've, I've kind of always known that I want to be in the, in the industry. I moved to Ontario in 04 and I've moved to a couple properties kind of around Ontario. And then in 14, I was lucky enough to get the head pro job here at Cedar Bray. And I, this is my ninth year here, which is, which is hard to believe. Yeah, that's uh, that's amazing. Now, obviously, there's a huge difference uh, for those who don't know between being a golf pro and a pro golfer. Uh, golf pro, you know, teaching the game and uh, running the golf course and all that. Of course, pro golfer, you're uh, trying to be on the you know the the tour and you know hopefully making millions of dollars in the PGA Tour. Did, did you ever have any uh, aspirations to be a, a pro golfer? I mean, I probably had aspirations, but it, I, I remember the day that it, I quickly realized it, uh, it wasn't going to work. I was. I was in my second year of college and I was, um, I remember I was a plus 2.2 index because that's as low as I've ever gotten. And I went down to U.S. amateur qualifying in Boston and my father came and caddied for me. And we played 36 holes in one day at a great old school private club down there. And it poured rain the entire day. And there was about 70 of us going for three spots. And I remember I shot 76, 74. Uh, and I was like, dad, that's gotta be close, man. I mean, I can't play any better it's pouring rain. I just shot 150. Let's see how we do here. And the guy that won the low qualifier, qualifier, I think was 65, 66. Oh. And the other two guys that get in paired fired up a couple of 68s. So I missed by about 15 strokes. And on the way back to New Brunswick, I said to my dad, maybe we'll try this club pro thing because uh, I don't think I have 15 strokes better just to get into the u.s amateur let alone anything other than that so from that point on it was it was very club pro focused and again i couldn't be happier it's awesome wow that's uh that's <laughs> those are still very very good rounds uh, nothing to uh you know uh be shameful about but yeah those scores <laughs> those scores are pretty damn amazing wow what? It's, it's tough, man. The guys on TV, they don't even play golf. I don't know what sport those guys on the PGA Tour are playing, but it's not golf because it's not what you and I do, that's for sure. They're, they're so good. And people, I don't think people actually realize just how good they are, but they're unbelievable. Well, what, what I especially ice marvel at, more often than not anyway, occasionally this doesn't happen, but say they put the ball in the water or, you know, in a horrible stymied in a bunker or something like that. More often than not, they still manage to make a bogey or a par. Like, they're very, very good at limiting those mistakes. Like, sometimes, you know, you'll see a shot and you're like, oh, this tournament's over, this guy's going to blow it, and then he just makes a par, no problem at all. Their, their ability to recover is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, it's damage control, and that's the only way you stay out there for a long time is if you can minimize your misses and, and just – well, Tiger said it many times. There's certain par saves that feel better than birdies, and, and that's just what you got to do. Yeah, definitely. Well, actually, I'm glad you brought up Tiger there. Uh what do you think of uh, you know him playing the the Masters and the and the, and the PGA Championship uh, U.S. Open here is coming up? Uh, hopefully he competes. Uh, do you think like 
Do you think he'll, I'm not expecting, of course, him to get back to the level of, you know, dominating. That's just not really, you know, realistically feasible. But do you think he actually can uh, get back to a point where he, he can uh, compete for a major or, or some other tournament? Well, I mean, what are you going to do, bet against Tiger Woods? I mean, he's, uh, I love when people complain, all, all they show on TV is Tiger. Well, that's because that's all they want to show. What's people want, that the ratings are as high as ever when Tiger's playing, whether he's shooting 65 or 75. Um, I guess the short answer to your question is yes. When, when Tiger, I've been a Tiger fan all my life. I kind of grew up right in his era. And during his first, before he won the, the Masters in 19, uh, I, I forever said he was going to win another major. Mm-hmm. And I've got, I don't know how many keg dinners I bet on it. Uh, I can tell you how many I've collected and the answer is zero. But if any of my buddies are listening, I'm still waiting for my keg dinners because <laughs> I had full confidence he was going to. And is it likely? Probably not. But am I going to say no? No, I'm definitely not. I think Tiger wins again. Um, he's just it's Tiger Woods for one thing. You just can't bet against him. Would you bet against Michael Jordan or, or Wayne Gretzky? That's the type of person we're talking about. So I'm pro Tiger. And as far as watching him compete in at Augusta and, and making the cut at the PGA, Again, I don't think people realize how impressive that is just to make the cut. If you look at the players that missed the cut and Tiger is making it, I, I think we all should just, A, consider ourselves very lucky and privileged to be able to still watch Tiger because we're basically watching a genius or an artist or however you want to describe him. Um, I'm in the camp of he's the best that's ever played the game, and I think we got to appreciate any time we get to see him for the rest of our lives. Yeah, it's uh, I got into golf about late, uh, about late 97, and so unfortunately my first Masters wasn't his in 97. It was the 98 Masters when Marco Mero won. I wish I'd seen the, the year before, but uh, so I've sort of uh, pretty much from the start of Tiger's professional career, just about a year shy of that, I've watched it all. I used to initially, I couldn't stand him because he was winning all the time, every single tournament. And it was just like, I want some variety. I want some other winners. I want someone to challenge him type thing. So I didn't like him uh, initially the first few years. But then I just sort of, I think it was the, the year was 2004. I believe he won the match play that year. That might have been his only win that year, I think. And uh, everyone was just like, this guy is terrible. Like, what's wrong with Tiger? He's garbage, da, da, da. And I'm like, are are you guys nuts? Like he's playing like his C game. Like he's not playing well at all. And he's finishing second and third. Like you've just uh, you've become so accustomed to him winning all these tournaments. And then that sort of was the, where it changed for me, where I was kind of like, no, no, this guy's really, really good. And uh, just like you, I, I, for the longest time I said, he will win another major again, provided he was healthy. And that was always a big if, if he was healthy. But I, I was always on, on, the, on the side that he definitely would, would uh, win a major again. I also had a few bets with buddies, and they also haven't paid up. <laughs> well, maybe you and I will go to the keg, and we can talk about it over a bottle of wine. Oh, that's, uh, that sounds good. Or maybe perhaps another drink, which we'll get uh, to a little bit later in this podcast. Uh, a drink <laughs> that you introduced yeah. me to, which I absolutely love. Oh, man, so good. Uh, <laughs> nice. Well, you obviously head pro at Cedar Bray Golf Club. Uh, what does the what does the the golf course offer, and why is it the best course in all the land? Well, Cedar Bray is such a cool spot. I mean, like I said earlier, I I started here in 2014, and when I came in for my interviews in the the winter of 2013, there was water buckets catching the water that was dripping in from the ceiling, and it was an old raggedy clubhouse. And I was had been recently the associate pro over at the National Golf Club of Canada in Woodbridge, which is an unbelievable facility. So I was kind of looking around saying, what did I get myself into? But, you know, in my short time, my nine years here, we've built a new clubhouse. We've completed golf course renovations. We've built an indoor simulator facility, which is awesome. And our membership's in the process right now of hopefully, when this goes podcast hits the air, hopefully we've, uh, we're voting on uh, a brand new short game facility. So it's the great thing about the club, it's, always a forward thinking club. We're always trying to climb the ranks forever. We were known as this hidden little gem in the Northeast corner of the city. And, and we kind of despise that term hidden little gem, mm-hmm. but it's been fun. Cause when you get up here, Hound dog, you'll see it's such a great fun members golf course. Our superintendent, Darren little does an unbelievable job. It's always in immaculate condition and, and people walk away going, Holy God, man, that's a really good golf course. And then what really makes it special. And I'm super lucky. I, our membership's awesome. I mean, we all know memberships can be memberships and, and they're not all easy to work with, but I, I'm really fortunate. We, we've got a great solid membership, men, women, juniors, it's they're active. They support the club. And some of them have been here. We just celebrated somebody who's been a member for, for 56 years. So wow. it's got a long storied history. It's pretty awesome. This is our hundredth anniversary here at the club. So there's lots of, lots of festivities happening this year. And it's just, there's a good vibe in the air, especially after the last two years of, of 
well, chaos for lack of a better term. Yeah, for sure. And then, of course, you said the membership was amazing. Now, we'll cut this part out. That's going to come up now. What do you really think about the membership? And you must have a lot of uh, (laughs) bad things to say about them, right? No, no, I got to be honest, man. No, they're good. I've been lucky. I travel with them and and I play with them here quite often. And no, they're they're really good. They're awesome. I mean, don't get me wrong. Every day, every job, every day, there's days where you just want to disappear <laughs> crawl under a rock but uh no day in and day out for the most part this is pretty solid up here it's pretty awesome that's great uh now tell us about there was a golf tournament uh this just this past thursday at the club uh tell us about that yeah we uh, were celebrating our it was the uh, our scramble for cancer so it's a fundraiser for for cancer obviously and again the past two years of covid uh, i guess 2019 was the last time we hosted it so we were I was t- t- chatting with a member on the day of the event, and we our goal each year is to raise ten thousand dollars. So that might not sound like a lot, but it's it's a quick ten grand that we can put together in a day. And we were just chatting, going, you know what? We haven't done this in th- since twenty nineteen, and neither has any other club in the country. And when you think about that's going to translate into hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, uh, not just for cancer, but for cancer for all the, for all kind of research and fundraising events. So. We, uh, we, we hit our goal. We were lucky. We always seem to hit that $10,000 goal. And similar to everything in golf right now, it was packed solid for the first time ever. The event had a wait list to get into it. And the weather was perfect. And it was good just to be back. It's fun just to kind of watch shotgun starts go out and get on the mic and hand out prizes. All that kind of stuff as golf professionals that we enjoy doing that we haven't had the chance to do. So it's, it's been it's, it was good. It was great. Yeah, that's uh, that sounds uh, fantastic for sure. Great cause, obviously. And uh, that's uh, that's amazing. Actually, I uh, another great cause. I this past weekend uh, did a walk uh, for Crohn's and colitis uh, that our good friend Adam Scully uh, put together, and he, he's I think he's been doing it for almost twenty years, I believe. Uh, he was telling me and uh, raised some good money for that as well. And uh, it's always good to to do the charity work. So uh, that's that that's amazing. Um, yeah. What's uh, so, so going back to some of the some of the golf uh, that you've done in the past or whatever. Uh, what are, you, what are your favorite courses that you've played, and what's maybe a, a bucket list uh, course that you haven't that you want to play? I'm assuming it's probably Arn Prior Golf Club, uh, where I grew up. The best golf course I've ever played, my favorite golf course. I was fortunate enough to play Riviera out out in L.A., oh. and we had the it was the craziest thing ever. My old assistant Kyle Corvo and I we flew out to L.A. We had a tournament in Las Vegas, and we decided to fly to L.A. a couple days early. Whew. And I reached out to their their head pro, and he said, "Yeah, you're more than welcome. Come on out." So I was shocked at how easy it was, but uh, we drove up to the club and we went in. We're having breakfast in the clubhouse at Riviera at about 7:30 in the morning, and there was nobody around. And I said to the pro, "Like, are, are we good to go?" He's like, "Oh, go whatever you want." So we had a caddy who, who double looped for us, and we walked out and we we tipped it at Riviera. And if you can picture that first tee box, it's basically right by the pro shop, up by the clubhouse. And uh, we we spent. It was a Friday morning, and there was less than. 20 people in the golf course. We basically had Riviera to ourselves for a Friday morning. It was amazing. It was, it was one of those moments you got to pinch yourself and just go, Holy smokes. Is this really happening? (laughs) That's just crazy. Yeah. That's, uh, that's crazy. Only 20 people playing a Riviera. Obviously this this course hosts uh, one of the premier PGA tour events of the year. I guess no one's awake at that time in the morning in LA. Yeah, things get a little off the rails once in a while in L.A. and uh, in the night before, I think. So uh, I can see people don't like the early tea times, but it worked to our benefit because it was pretty awesome. It was great. And I mean, so that would be my all time favorite. But I've been fortunate enough, Hound Dog. I, I mean, like I, I mentioned Valderrama, I, I played Pebble Beach, which is was spectacular. Oh. And if, if I were to kind of zone it in here in Canada, I mean. Cabot Cliffs, if you haven't had the chance, Cabot Cliffs is, it's good. It's already something special, but it's just going to get better and better. It's one of those places, again, you walk around and you're looking out at the, the Atlantic Ocean and you're just going, wow. And me being from the Maritimes, I'm just going, I can't believe this golf course is in the Maritimes. And it's it's awesome. I love Cabot Cliffs and Cabot Lynx is also really, really, really strong. So that's a great one-two combo here in Canada. I, I when I was maybe in uh, my teenage years, my family went out out east, and I golfed a couple places in, in Nova Scotia. I wasn't earning money at the time, so it was hard for me to convince them to, you know, hey, uh, fork out uh, if you don't mind uh, a couple hundred dollars for me to play this exquisite golf course. PEI, by the way, <laughs> PEI was absolutely. I'd love it. So that place is incredible. So I do. I want to go out back out there because I know golf out there is is amazing, and it's probably pretty uh, relatively cheap because they're just wanting to get people out there. Uh, I love PEI. 
Yeah, PEI is pretty special too. I mean, for a summer vacation, my, my family used to vacation in PEI uh, the first week of August. It was only three hours before we grew up, but it was always we'd rent a little cottage. And yeah, it's tough to beat Atlanta, Canada in the summertime in general. It's it's awesome. It's so good, so relaxed. The weather's good. The food's good if you like seafood. And now the golf is really good. Yeah, definitely have to make sure a trip. Well, maybe we'll plan one together and we'll go there and, and play a million rounds of golf. That sounds like a good time to me. Um, sounds like a road trip. Yeah, and actually, you you touched on Pebble Beach there. I have a quick anecdote about that course. I have a friend who played there with, or who didn't play there. Sorry, he was there on the golf course with three other people, and they're of course playing Pebble Beach, which was amazing. This guy doesn't love golf all that much, so he was just there basically to hang out with his buddies. He told me he burned through two cell phones that day. Didn't pay attention to a single thing. This guy's on Pebble Beach. You have a chance. To, I don't care if you don't like golf. You have a chance to play at Pebble Beach and, like, you know, take in the amazing views and everything like that. He said he barely even saw anything all day. He was just on his tele- cell phone the whole time. What is wrong no, with him? That, yeah, that's a shame. Pebble's one of those properties. That, like, when you, if, if you're a golf guy like you and I, uh, and you think of the history of what's happened there over the years, it, it it's is it the best golf course I've ever played? No, but it's definitely one of the best golf experiences I've ever had. It's you feel like you're kind of walking on some sacred ground and it's, it's pretty special. It's awesome too. Yeah. And but speaking of a sacred ground, good segue. Uh, you went to the, the masters, uh, before, uh, yeah, that must obviously just be the, the, the coolest experience. Yeah. The masters was pretty awesome. I was there. Uh, I went to the 2015 masters and my good friend, Sean Casey says, Hey, you just got to go. We'll go down and we'll figure it out. We had no tickets. We had nothing. He said, we'll just drive down and, and we'll make it work. Okay, sure, let's do it. So we, we packed in the car and we drove to Augusta. And we, like I said, we had no tickets. We drove down, played some golf for a couple of days in, in the area. And then on we on the Friday morning, we get up and we're like, okay, we got to find a scalper. So we walked up to a scalper at, I guess it would have been 7.30, 8 o'clock. And he's, I go, how much to get in? And he says, 1500 US. And I said, what? And I go, that's not, that's not right. <laughs> I go, he says, it drops as the day. He says, what's your budget? I say, I'll pay 500 us. He says, give me your cell phone. I'll text you when the tickets drop to 500 us. And I kind of thought, wow, this can't be legit. But anyway, I gave him my cell phone number. And then at about 1245 in the afternoon, he buzzes me. He says, you still want to go? Yeah. And there's four of us. He said, I got four passes, 500 each. Meet me at Denny's and we'll exchange. Um, so the crazy thing about this is he, he actually had a badge. So if, as you know, the badges, you have to give them back. So they're, they're um, the same badges used throughout the week. And the crazy part about the story was that uh, I had to leave the rental car as collateral for the badge. So I gave this guy complete stranger, the rental car keys in the rental car. And he gave me his badge for six hours. And I went into Augusta national and walked around And <laughs> I mean, the, the badge is worth more than the rental car. So I felt quite confident in the transaction should ever go wrong, but it was uh, again, that place you walk in and your head's on a swivel you're just looking around and tv it's one of the few places that tv just does not do it justice it is so good and it's so immaculate and it's so efficient it's i don't know how many stories i'd have about that place but from from the food and beverage lines i'll tell you what when you go into the bathroom the urinal process is efficient they've got guys waving you down when there's open urinals which people don't really know about but it's pretty neat pretty awesome and uh, how are the, the pimento cheese sandwiches? Uh, I hear those are obviously uh, hit or miss. Some people love them, some people hate them. Yeah, I'd probably rank it in one of the worst sandwiches I've ever eaten in my life. Wow. But uh, but but I had to try it. I tried it. I gave it a full. I, I gave it a. But the good thing is you get to wash it down with a beer that costs two dollars and fifty cents. So I, I quickly moved to the barbecue chicken sandwiches after that. But I can say I had one, and that'll probably be the only one I ever have. <laughs> wow, that bad. Well, I'm glad the story uh, turned out well. When you said uh, you had to meet some guy at a Denny's parking lot to, to be able to get into the Masters, that could have gone a whole heck of a lot of ways that uh, would maybe result <laughs> in you not being able to do this podcast. So I'm glad uh, glad you're here to tell the tale. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate that very much. <laughs> and and you uh, had texted me, and I obviously I have to bring this up. This uh, this blew, blew my mind, and I, I need to know the story behind this. You golfed with uh, you mentioned him earlier, Michael Jordan before. Well, I, I wish I didn't golf with him, but I, I got to spend the day with him, which was pretty cool. So, one of the things in golf, it seems like everybody in the world plays golf, or they want to play golf, or celebrities, especially celebrities. But uh, again, this goes back to my good friend Sean Casey. At the time, he was at Glen Abbey, and when when Mike Weir used to host his, uh, he used to have his own private kind of Mike Weir pro-am before the Canadian, before the actual pro-am, there was a Mike Weir pro-am. And uh, I was working at Deer Ridge Golf Club down in Kitchener at the time. And my phone rang. I was on the ninth fairway, I remember. And Sean says, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, nothing. What's up? He says, do you want to hang out with Michael Jordan for the day? <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I'm busy. No, I think I'm going to go over to Walmart and do some shopping. So, no, obviously, I'm like, yeah, dude, I'll, I'll be there. He says, okay, you got to be at Glen Abbey at this time. I'll meet you there. So, okay. So, he had to line up some caddies. And because they just didn't want anyone, they wanted a couple of golf pros that could kind of handle the, the, I guess, the hoorah around Jordan's group. And if you've ever been to Glen Abbey, we're standing at the, the foot of the stairs up to the front entrance. And there's a lot of celebrities coming in. I remember they would announce the celebrities over the radios as they pulled into the driveway, Glen Abbey's long driveway. And it would be like, uh, Kevin Costner is on his way down. I remember Jerome McGinley and Martin Brodeur, uh, making, coming down the driveway. And then all of a sudden it was Michael Jordan is eastbound or westbound on the QEW. And they're giving us play by play as he's coming down the highway, <laughs> coming from Pe- Pearson on his private jet. So he pulls up in a couple of black escalades and it was him. It was his head pro, uh, at his course in, in Utah. Uh, his neighbor, and then I guess a business associate. And um, it was all business. It was kind of, here's our clubs, meet us on the range, boom. And then we down the range, and it was crazy because we didn't really have time to get to know Jordan before we get down to the range. And then he actually approached us, which I thought was super cool. He walked over to me. He says, hey, man, I'm Michael Jordan. I was kind of like, no shit, dude. I know, <laughs> I know who you are. Uh, I'm Justin O'Leary. Nice to meet you. Um, so I shook his hand, and my hand basically disappeared inside his hand. And I remember grabbing a seven iron, and I said, holy, man, your grip looks like a zucchini. And it was a jumbo oversized grip with 12 wraps of tape underneath it to the point where it actually split the end of the grip because there was so much tape, and it was so fat. And uh, there's so many stories from that day. I guess I got two quick ones, and you can tell I like to talk, but I got two quick ones. No, we're, we're go, as, the- go as long as you want. This is uh, this is amazing. Uh, take 10 hours if you'd like. <laughs> we're playing the, uh, the 14th hole at Glen Abbey, and it's got uh, the creek that runs up the right-hand side. And, and I'm caddying for Jordan's neighbor, and Jordan hits his ball up the right-hand side, and he says, I think it cleared. And I said, no, no, it's in the water. He says, no, man, it cleared. I said, no, dude, I saw it splash. It's in the water. So my guy hooks it left, uh, up the left in the left rough over by a pond. And we're over there. And they've, of course, Michael Jordan, they got a big money game going. And my <laughs> guy's not helping him look for his ball because I've assured him that his ball's in the water. There's no sense going over to look for it. And, and MJ yells over at us. He's like, boys, are you not going to help me look for my ball? And I'm like, Mike, I saw it go in the water. I saw the splash. You're toast. And then my guy I'm caddying for, he looks at me and goes, you know, you're yelling at Michael Jordan right now. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I didn't realize it, but now I certainly do. So that's kind of unique. Yeah. And then um, that was kind of a cool moment. And then my only other cool, or not my only other, but my lasting memory of that day is um, um, I've only signed one autograph in my entire life. And I think I'll stop after this because it's my, I don't, I'll never sign a better one. So that back in those days, I was sponsored by TaylorMade, and um, TaylorMade knew I'd be on Sportsnet and TSN with the footage of being with Jordan all day. So they wanted to wear, um, they wanted me to wear a TaylorMade hat while I was caddying. So an, unbeknownst to a lot of people, if you're my good friend, you know I've got an abnormally large head in proportion to the rest of my body, and hats just don't fit me really well. And, and TaylorMade, I was with them forever. They just didn't have a hat that fit me. But they said, Jay, I'll go down to the tour. Uh, the tour van they, they've got hat, hats down there it'll fit you and i walk into the tour van and i'm like hey man i need the biggest tailor-made hat you got so he gives me this hat i put it on it looks like i'm a train conductor it's sitting so high in my head and i'm just like this is ridiculous i'm not being on tv watching this i'll never hear the end of it so i wore it to the our first tee which was the uh the 17th at Glen abbey and um my buddy sean made fun of my hat he's like dude you can't wear that thing you look like an idiot <laughs> So I'm like, okay. So they hit their tee shots and we're walking off and the gallery for, it was crazy. The gallery was like six, seven deep around Jordan. And I saw this little kid in the gallery and I just happened to walk off. I'm like, here, man, here's a tailor-made hat. I gave him this hat and that was it. I kind of went on my way and the day kind of progressed and it was pretty awesome. And, and um, little did I know that he was on leave from sick kids hospital for that day. And, and he wanted to see Michael Jordan. So now he's got this hat and that he got from a guy catting for Michael Jordan, blah, blah, blah. And the day ends, the round ends. And now we're back at the foot of the steps at Glen Abbey. And we're on the other side of the barricade and people are losing their marbles, trying to get Jordan to sign everything you can imagine. And, and I happen to see the little kid that I gave my hat to. So I'm like, yeah, man, I'll, uh, I, I see him. He's, he's fighting the crowd. He's like fighting these adults that are trying to get Jordan's autograph. So I grabbed it and I said, Hey Mike, do you mind signing this real quick? And he bangs it off, signs it. And I give it back to the kid and the kid just kind of disappears in the crowd. And then 
Jordan Hobson is escalating and, and they take off and, and Sean and I are like, okay, we need a pint and we got a debrief. We need to just talk about what happened in the last seven hours of our life. <laughs> and so we go down to the, we go down to the beer garden, which was outside the old Academy building at Glen Abbey. And we're just sitting there having a beer and just going, Holy smokes, man. We just hung out with MJ for that long. That was so cool. And I get a tap on my shoulder. I turn around and it's a girl, um, and which doesn't happen very often. And, um, oh, so now, she's now. like, Hey, uh, she goes, Hey, I'm, I'm such and such. And, and you didn't realize this, but, um, little Johnny's on leave from sick kids. And he was so grateful that you gave him that hat. And then yet that you got Michael Jordan to sign it for him. Uh, he's wants to know if you would sign it for him too. And I'm like, pardon. And <laughs> I'm like, I would, I would be absolutely honored. So I, I signed my one and only autograph of my life. And somewhere out there, there's a white tailor made hat with Michael Jordan and Justin O'Leary on the peak of the hat. And uh, I, I'll never top that autograph session. So I'm done. I'm, uh, I've signed my last, my first and only autograph ever. <laughs> wow. What a combo, eh? Imagine, what are the odds, uh, you know, I like to gamble a little bit, as you know. What are the odds that someone sees that and, and immediately is uh, flabbergasted that it's Justin O'Leary's name instead of Michael Jordan? What are the odds that you are the number one person in, uh, in that, that they're blown away by? Yeah, I mean, that might be the only way I ever get Google search, maybe. If they see me at my name on a hat with Michael Jordan, they might look me up and say, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> that's a, Wow, that, that, that's an incredible story. Uh, hard to top that one, but is there any, any other uh, you know, uh, royalty that you've met uh, while golfing uh, or anything like that? Like, it's, uh, like I said, it's hard to top that one. Yeah, I mean, again, I've been super lucky in working at the National and working in Muskoka for years, I, I, I've, I've met a lot of celebrities and, and it's not always lucky to meet celebrities, but I have met a lot of good people. Um, one cool story that sticks out in my mind. Um, I'm a diehard Bruins fan, as you know, and, and uh, unhappy, like a lot of people in the city don't like that, but I love the Bruins. And, and years ago I was in Muskoka and I played a pro-am with Dale Howardchuck, who's no longer with us. Dale passed away a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, and, and Dale and I, we just hit it off really well. And um, we played golf and then we played golf a couple times thereafter and, and exchanged numbers. And later that summer, I remember he, he texted me and um, he said, I need a favor. And I was kind of like, yeah, Dale, what, what can I do? He's like, my son's looking, moving to Muskoka and he needs a job. W would you hire him? And I said, yeah, man, I would. Uh, sure. Yeah. You're, you're a hockey hall of famer. You're one of the most famous goals and you're involved in one of the most famous goals in Canadian history with Mario and Gretzky. I'll, I'll hire your son for sure. And the bonus part was that his son, Eric, who is a heck of a player, um, and he turned out to be probably our best worker up there. And, and Eric and I kind of became buddies a little bit through our summers in Muskoka. And then when I moved down to Kitchener and then into Toronto, I kind of lost touch. And I remember Dale telling me, hey, man, if you ever need a favor, let me know. And I was like, OK, hey, you don't need to owe me a favor because your son was an unbelievable worker. But uh, lo and behold, the Boston Bruins make the Stanley Cup finals in 2011. And um, if you remember, they lost the first two games in Vancouver and they're heading back to Boston for game three. And, and I always said, man, if the Bruins ever make the finals, I'm going somehow, some way I'm going. And I, uh, I, I exhausted all avenues. And then I, I remember, wow, like seven years ago, Dale Howard checks said if I ever needed a favor. <laughs> so I, Dale and I had kind of lost touch. So I reached out to Eric and um, uh, Eric, dude, any chance um, you can get tickets, uh, happy to pay, blah, blah, blah. Uh, he's like, how many do you need? And he's probably expecting me to say two, but I said four because my siblings were going to come down from New Brunswick and Sean and I were going to fly down from, from Toronto. Wow. And he's like, four tickets, game three, Stanley Cup finals. He says, that's a big ask. He says, give me a day. I'll make some phone calls. Anyway, he calls me back and he's like, uh, J.O., you got four tickets waiting for you at will call. And I said, holy smokes. I said, what are you? He says, just pay the face value and you're good. And I'm like, that is unbelievable. And it was like a goodwill thing. I'm sure Dale must have played a role in it. It was just a goodwill thing that Dale and Eric, both solid, solid guys, and uh, fulfilled an unofficial, if you ever need a favor, let me know from like seven years earlier. And and lo and behold, the Bruins won that game eight to one. So you can imagine <laughs> what it was like at the Boston Garden. And then they, they flipped the entire series and they won in game seven, which was uh, which was an amazing time. So, yeah, th that's just a cool story that um, – just good people being good people was awesome. I loved it. Well, that's a what a way to cash in on, on an IOU or whatever. That's a, oh. to be able to go to that. I would love to have seen yeah. the the uh, you at the after party after that eight one Bruins win. That would have been a reality show uh, upon itself. I'm assuming. 
Well, we're, I'm just so thankful that uh, social media wasn't, wasn't quite what it was back then that it is now. <laughs> it was fun. But we went to O'Reilly's Pub, and I remember my brother got asked to leave. So, And I, I, I wasn't too far behind him, but it was a good time for sure. That's, uh, that's amazing. Uh, well, as a Bruins fan, uh, obviously they, them and uh, the, my Maple Leafs, they both lost in the first round a couple rounds ago. Uh, uh, you know, Bruins, of course, always crushing the Maple Leafs' hearts in the playoffs. Uh, I guess I give you uh, the floor here to uh, trash and bash the Maple Leafs if you'd like. No, I never go down that road. It's uh, I, I've uh, you got to win with um, what's the term? You got you got to win class. with uh, class. Win with class. I, you know, I got to say though, I, I'm not a Leaf fan, and and I, I had a I was at an event the other day, and, and I had a Leaf fan come up to me, and he says. I wish we had played you in the first round because this was the year we were going to beat you. I said, well, I don't even know. I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. You, you haven't done it yet. So why would this be the year? But I will say this, I'll give the Leafs, the Leafs props that they are turning into a heck of a hockey team. Um, it's um, they're, they're fun to watch. I mean, if you're just a straight up hockey fan, uh, I enjoy getting over for a game. I don't live too far from the, from the rink and it's fun to venture over. And again, watching Austin Matthews play is good. Uh, is great. Um, whether he's here after his contract's up, that's a whole different story that Leaf fans don't want to talk about, but we'll see what happens. So it sounds like uh, perhaps like maybe are turning into a slowly but surely a Leaf fan. Uh, is, is that what I'm hearing from that? Oh, no, no. I can assure you that I, I, I like <laughs> I like the Leafs less now than when I moved here. Like living out east, I was always anti-Montreal, um, but now I'm actually anti-Montreal and anti-Leafs. I, 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 I don't care for them. I mean, I like a party as much as anybody. So if they were to win, that, that would be cool. I mean, I would like to see downtown. It would be fun. Um, but um, I might put them, I'll, I'll give them top 10 status maybe on my team list. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, no, as, uh, as a Bruce fan that, that you are, you should hate the Leafs and you should hate Montreal. That's the way it should be. I've railed in this podcast before with people, you know, when the, when the Leafs choked against Montreal last year, last year when they were up 3-1, and then um, obviously Montreal came back to win. Leaf fans were then cheering for Montreal, which I thought was absolutely ridiculous, especially because they crushed your soul. Like, uh, yeah, if they're, they're your oh. bitter rival, you should absolutely never in any circumstance cheer for them. That was crazy. I, I remember that was one of the few times I actually was cheering for the Leafs because I wanted Montreal to lose. And I couldn't believe what the Leafs did. And then they lit the CN Tower up in Montreal, Canadian colors. I mean, I get it. We're all Canada's team, blah, blah, blah. I get all that stuff. But, but my gosh, when you're a hated rivalry, rivalry like Montreal and, and, and Toronto, you don't highlight the CN Tower in their colors, for God's sake. No, it's absolutely no chance would they ever do that in Montreal. Had Toronto beaten Montreal, especially if Montreal had a 3-1 series lead. Like, it's just absolutely asinine that they did that. I, I just, oh, uh, oh, my God. <laughs> You think the Yankees are ever like lighting things up in Boston Red Sox colors, and 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 the Lakers and Celtics are ever? No, it doesn't work like that. Come on, get it together. That's so funny. I promised the listeners I didn't pay Jo to say all these things because that that was definitely essentially the exact same argument I had on a podcast a little while ago, a couple of, you know a while back. Uh, I promise you, I didn't pay him money, and maybe just about a thousand dollars to to say that. Like uh, it's just oh my god, crazy. Uh, <laughs> Canadian Open, U.S. Open are both coming up here. Uh, any uh, players that you'd love to see win uh, those tournaments? Well, I mean, I guess from a Canadian standpoint, you'd love to see a Canadian guy win um, either one of them. Um, uh, obviously, you'd rather, I don't know, you'd rather win the major or the Canadian Open, so I don't think it would matter. But, I mean, we're lucky now. we got so many good, solid Canadians on tour. I mean, whether it's Hadwin or, or Corey Connors or Nick Taylor, they're all playing solid. And, I mean, if I had to pick one uh, at St. George's, I mean – Geez, Corey Connors is looking as good as anybody, and he strikes it so well. And, and St. George's isn't overly long uh, in relative terms. It's some tour courses, so you got to strike it around there. So, if if he could get the putter going, I, I would love to see Corey in that. That would be that'd be phenomenal. It'd be awesome. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, he won't be playing the Canadian Open. I'm like 99.9 percent sure. But at St. George's, I think it was what 2010 or 2011. I think it was 2010. Carl Peterson won, I believe. A uh, big the big Swedish guy. He made the cut yeah. on the number. I love this story. Made the cut on the number, thought he was going to miss the cut. And uh, so he was in the clubhouse waiting on the Friday. I think he had like six or eight beers, apparently, as, as the uh, the tale goes. Made the cut on the number. I think he shot like 60 on that Saturday, 60 or 61 on that Saturday, and then ended up winning the tournament. Uh, I love that guy. Carl Pearson. It's too bad he hasn't been relevant for quite a while now. That uh, guy was amazing. So that course was a lot yeah. of fun, and it'd be uh, certainly 
certainly great. It's uh, David Hearn a few years ago had a chance uh, with the last couple yeah. holes as a Canadian. Jared Dutrois was the 54-hole leader out of nowhere a uh, number of years ago. Wrong, hound dog. Wrong. He was trailing by one shot after 54 holes. Get it together, bud. It would be cool to see a Canadian actually have a, a shot to win that. I'd be surprised. Yeah, you'd hope. You'd hope anyway, right? I'd be surprised if... Uh, Phil Mickelson wasn't playing the U.S. Open only because that's the one he needs to complete the career Grand Slam. I'm actually, to be quite honest, shocked that he hasn't uh, surfaced in golf just yet. Uh, obviously, the, the Live Tour, uh, you know, rumors and speculation that he might go there. Breaking news, breaking news. Phil Mickelson has joined the Live Golf Tour. Uh, another player who did go or is going to be going there, Dustin Johnson, uh, for like $125 million. Uh, what do you think about this, this Live Tour and uh, DJ and a couple of the players defecting to, the, uh, to that tour? It's tough, right? Like we'd all, yes, RBC, I guess RBC dumped DJ and they, they, they dumped McDowell. Um, you'd love to see, especially DJ playing, competing in Canada, but people kind of forget. They get caught up in the, in the, in the soft story of it all, but these guys are businessmen, right? I mean, this is, yes, they're rich and yes, they've got more money than they know what to do with the rest of my life, but their lives, but they're, at the end of the day, they're still business guys. And you got somebody who's going to pay you $125 million to go play a tournament. I mean, I would love to see DJ at St. George's, but if someone were paying me 125 million, I'd probably go tip it up in London too. So um, it's, I, I understand both sides of the argument. Now, the other thing he had commitments. I mean, you, you should fulfill your commitments to RBC and to, to whatever contracts you've signed because RBC is such a huge factor in the golf industry. But so it's unfortunate the way it all went down. And, I also always remind people that we are on the outside and we don't have a clue what's going on behind the scenes and maybe there's more to it than we know. But I guess the long and short of it is that DJ's $125 million richer uh, for going to go play 54 holes in, in London. And, you know, it's got the, all the Saudi backing and all the talk about, about everything that goes on in, in Saudi Arabia. And this isn't the time or another place to do that. So it's, it's tough. I mean, it's, I, I see DJ's point. Um, it's unfortunate. We'd love to have him here in Canada. I mean, we'd love to have him on Team RBC because it just brings more more notice. But um, if this is the place to plant uh, to plant rumors, my prediction is that RBC will be signing Justin Thomas, and I've got no bearing on that other oh. than it's. Yeah, I mean he is it, he's playing in St. George's, I think, is he not? Yep, he and, definitely uh, is. Yep. JT had his little. Uh, I think he's learned from his mistake a couple of years ago with uh, what got picked up on the microphone, and I, I think he's going to be an all timer. And I mean, if RBC's looking to replace DJ, I, I, Justin Thomas would be would be uh, would be a great one. So if it comes to fruition, Hound Dog, you heard it here first. That's a pretty good prediction, though. I like the the, the, the thought that he might be uh, being signed by RBC for sure. I figure that uh, eventually, just like you know, players can play on the DP World Tour, it used to be the European Tour. I think if, uh, over time, probably with this Live Tour, if it is successful, that. It won't be like uh, this thing where you have to like sign contracts or like try to get out of playing on the PGA Tour and signing waivers and stuff. I, I can't, can't imagine legally over time the PGA Tour is allowed to like hold these guys hostage on that because they are, you know, independent contractors sort of. So I think ultimately yeah. it'll, it'll end up being fine. Yeah, and that's exactly it. I mean, there's no question the PGA Tour has had some form of monopoly over all these guys. And, and unfortunately, that's going to change and it's probably for the better and, and, they should be able to play wherever they want. I'm sure there's a lot of people that completely disagree with me. <laughs> I'll probably hear from my members when they listen to this podcast, but um, that's kind of how I feel. I mean, it's uh, DJ's only here. We're all here for 80 to 90 years if we're lucky and uh, make as much as you can to take care of future generations of your family and all the power to them. Without question. Uh, well, a couple of things and then I'll let you go there, J.O. Um, uh, you do something that I uh, absolutely am amazed by. Like it, it's so impressive marathon running uh how'd you get going with that it seems like a lot of work and uh I, I, I wouldn't go i wouldn't do so well with those well um you can probably relate to how i get into it a little bit so my sister kathleen lives out in brunswick and she called me one day years ago maybe 10 years ago no whatever it was seven years ago and she says i'm gonna come up and i'm gonna run the toronto marathon or the toronto half marathon i said oh cool uh, that's awesome so she flies up i live right downtown so she stays in my condo um, I go out the night before with some buddies and, um, and she doesn't know the Toronto area at all. So I have to walk her up to the start line on university Avenue. Um, so she had to be there bright and early. So it's six 30 in the morning. I think I probably get in around four four thirty in the morning. Um, so I wake up, probably a piece of pizza stuck to my shirt still. And I walk her up to the start line and I'm hung over and I'm going, I'm looking at all these healthy people running around here. And I'm like, wow, this is kind of like, uh, 
it's a little motivational. It's not quite a lot motivational, but it's a little right now. So I get her to the start line and she's like, I'll be done in one hour and 55 minutes or whatever it was. And I'm like, how do you know that? She's like, cause that's how fast I'm going to run. And like, I just thought that was cool that she knew what her time was going to be before she even got started. Yeah. So, so back, I crawl, drag my, my hungover ass back, back to my condo and sleep for one hour and 55 minutes and then go back up to the finish line. But this time, by the time you walk up uh, Bay street downtown, the, the people are six, seven, eight deep. And they're absolutely cheering and screaming. And the, and the energy was just absolutely electric. And I'm kind of like, I got to do this. Like, I got to get on the inside of those ropes and not on the outside. Because um, I'm certainly not getting on the inside of the ropes of golf anymore. So so maybe this is my new thing. So I meet Kathleen. We celebrate. And um, and then I go back. We go back to my condo. And I'm sitting there like, Kathleen, I'm going to run this with you next year, half marathon. And she's like, what? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And at that time, I was probably 15, 20 pounds overweight. And, um, I went for a run two days later, I ran a kilometer and a half and I puked on the side, on the sidewalk. And I was just like, Oh my God. I mean, I didn't even realize how out of shape I was. And then it was just kind of addicting. So, uh, once I get over the puking hurdle, which took a couple of times, but, um, I, I ran, I, I set an intermediate goal of running a 10 K in an official 10 K race, which I did. And then lo and behold, the following October, I, I, I raced the half marathon with her. And um, I remember thinking, like, anyone that does that again for a full marathon, they must be crazy. Like, that's insane. Yeah. But all this, so all of a sudden, I decided I, I ran 23 kilometers. I ran 25 kilometers. And then, Hound Dog, you know me well enough. I When I do things, I usually kind of go overboard a little bit. So without ever having run a marathon or even got close to it, I threw my application in for the New York City Marathon uh, into the lottery. And lo and behold, I get an email saying I've been accepted into the New York City Marathon. And I was like, oh, shoot, I better <laughs> learn how to run a marathon. I better learn how to run a marathon before I go ripping around Manhattan. Um, so that would have been 2018. And um, uh, I started training and I, I ran the Toronto Spring Marathon that spring to kind of just see what it was like. And I remember it being absolutely awful. So but I'm like. I did it. I, I ran a marathon and, and uh, the competitiveness in me is like, I think I can do it quicker. So I got to New York and I did it quicker by a mere nine seconds over 42.2 kilometers. I was nine seconds quicker. That's crazy. And, Only nine, well, like nine seconds. Wow. Oh yeah. And, and New York, it, it was the first time when I crossed the finish line in New York city, um, you cross right in central park and there's bleachers and galleries. And my, again, my buddy, Sean and his wife, Kate were there. And I remember crossing the, the, the um, the uh the finish line and i broke out into tears and i was like holy sugar what am i crying for like i had no control of my body um and i'm just like i just ran the new york city marathon it was like the most electric feeling i've ever had um and i'll say this i've I've never had that feeling from golf it was just there was thousands of people cheering and it was just nuts and i said i gotta do this again so then as i kind of got into the the running culture um i learned there's what's called there's six majors around the world and again, I'm probably not going to compete in any golf majors, but I can compete in these running majors. So um, I threw my application in for Chicago in 2019. And lo and behold, I get drawn again and I ran the Chicago Marathon in 2019. So then I got thinking, well, that's two of the six majors. And if you run all six, you get like a little medal and it kind of forms a big medal. And you're known as a there's only a small percentage of the population that a, have run a marathon, but have run the six majors. Awesome. So Boston, I'm assuming. Yeah, Boston is a major, yeah. Uh, so then it, here I go with the application process. Again, I throw another one in um, for Berlin. And long story short, I'm heading to Berlin in September to run the Berlin Marathon in Germany. Um, so that'll be, I'll be halfway there to this goal that I, that I still think is going to be really tough, but at one point seemed incomprehensible. And so once I check Berlin off this September, I'll have uh, Tokyo and I'll have London. And then the granddaddy of them all is uh, Boston. Boston's kind of the masters of, of running. And the, uh, there's no there's no lotteries. You got to qualify for Boston, or you got to get in on a sponsorship exemption of some sort, or whatever it might be. So uh, I'm hoping. Uh, but before I'm 50, I'd like to run all all six of them. I think that would be uh, pretty cool. And I um I tell people if you think a pint tastes good after a round of golf, man, you should have one after a marathon because it's a whole different level. <sighs> yeah, honestly, like I said, uh, super impressive that you do that. Uh, like I said, oh my goodness, I love long distance walking. I have no problem. Like I, I, I've uh, in the past walked like uh, four and a half hours to work or whatever. Like I, I love walking, but uh, uh, running. Oh my goodness! I can't even imagine. You know, running for like a, a minute, let alone uh, the length of time that you did that. So that's that's absolutely amazing. Uh, 
I'm curious, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of runners for these marathons. Did you ever, uh, maybe someone you didn't love as much uh, running, did you ever have a slight urge to like trip someone? Funny enough, I probably have actually. I mean, it's, <laughs> you, 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 you get competitive within yourself. Now, would I trip somebody? No. Would I? But the urge, like, the urge to trip someone. Though. Oh, the urge. Oh, well, I tell you who I want to trip downtown. I don't know if you listen to the Spit and Chicklets podcast, but what uh, was it? Ra has, always has a what irks me situation thing. Mm-hmm. Like when you're running downtown and uh, and the bikers think that they own the the, the 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 bike lanes, they think they own the roadway, they think they own the sidewalk. So I've been clipped by a couple of bikers. I cut off aggressively. Um, and if I was like a if I was Hussein Bolt, I could catch the bike. I'd probably chase after them. But uh, I don't want to trip any runners. But there's a couple a uh, couple of bikers I could probably throw a hip check to now and then. I'd be okay with. <laughs> Oh man, that's uh, that's hilarious. Well, JL, this has been awesome. I'll get you out of here on this. You introduced me. I, I alluded to it earlier to a drink that you told me about when we were in Spain. You said you must have this drink. I'd never heard of it before. It is absolutely delightful, amazing. Bamboo rum. The floor is yours to be a spokesman for bamboo rum right now. Well, it's a game changer, isn't it? Um, in twenty in twenty twenty, when I couldn't go home for Christmas, I uh, I spent Christmas here in Ontario with some friends, and I said I'm going to bring a nice bottle. And I just went into the liquor store, and I saw this really cool looking bottle of rum, and I, and I like rum. And believe me, the last thing I need to do is find a rum that I like even more and be more enticed to drink it. But um, all my life, I've been convinced that I get hung over from from all the coke that I drink and, and not the rum when I mix them. So I, this bamboo rum. It is like dessert in a glass, and you don't need any Coke. You drink it straight on the rocks or, or neat. And uh, I'll give you a real quick tidbit funny story. I was in Jamaica back in March. My girlfriend and I flew down to Jamaica, and we were shopping around one of the little stores, and um, I was buying a watch. So that when you buy a watch, whatever, they thought it was pretty cool. I was buying a watch. Oh, you good customer. We're going to give you a very, very special drink. And I, the guy goes, do you like rum? I said, yeah. Do you have some good rum for me? And yeah. I said, oh, is it from Jamaica? No, it's from uh, Barbados. Oh, okay. And he brings it out. It's a bottle of bamboo. I was just like, giddy up. I'll have a couple of those. Let's go. <laughs> so, uh, Hound Dog, I look forward to the day. We keep talking about it. We're going to make it happen. You and I, and uh, maybe maybe we'll invite that Scully guy, but maybe not. But we'll uh, yeah. we'll sit down. We'll have a couple of bamboos and, and reminisce about Spain, and we'll get a game of golf in here real soon. Yeah, uh, yeah, that sounds like an amazing time. And, yeah, bamboo, just uh, I would say has almost like a hint of like a banana to it. I uh, wouldn't necessarily yeah. say I would even necessarily love that. But as you said, you actually could. There's a lot of drinks that you, like a harder liquor that I just the smell of it, let alone tasting it uh, on the rocks, would just you know revolt me. Uh, bamboo rum is not the case for that. It is, like as you mentioned, you can just have it by itself. And it's just, uh, just the best. I'm so glad you told me about it. The stupid thing is, though, the LCBO that I go to, the couple that I go to, used to have it, and thank goodness they did, or else I would never have uh, looked for other ones, probably. Uh, but now they've, they've, they've gotten rid of it. They said no one buys bamboo. So either no one buys bamboo, or you bought all the bamboos out of uh, out of Toronto. I'm not sure which one it is, but uh, well, when you when you're running low, I got my condo stock. So you come downtown, and I'll hook you up with some black market bamboo. What an absolute weapon Justin O'Leary is! So much fun catching up with him. I knew introducing him as a beauty was apropos good word. He definitely lived up to the hype for sure. I was grinning through ear to ear. Wait, is it through ear to ear or is it from ear to ear? I think it's from or is it through? Who knows? Something like that. Anyways, I was grinning from ear to ear when he was telling that story about spending the day with Michael Jordan. Imagine yelling across the fairway to MJ that his ball went in the water. Amazing. Normally, my throw line to guests is, without further ado... Let's get cracking. To be honest with you, it's for a potential cracking sponsorship deal. But after talking about bamboo rum, I think I might have to switch it. So let me try my new throw line. Bear with me while I workshop this. So without further ado, let's bamboo. Ho ho ho! Sometimes I amaze even myself. Wait, nobody else impressed? Okay then. You can follow him on Twitter at Justin O'Leary and on Instagram at JOPGA8. And also his golf club at Cedar Bray Golf on both Instagram and Twitter. Thank you for listening to episode 85 of the H Dog Pod. Man. This has been the H Dog Pod with your host, Michael Hound Dog Harrison. Mm-bang. 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 Mm-bang.